It's wonderful to be with you this morning. So we are in the book of Hebrews, and uh, we've been looking through Hebrews chapter 11, looking at the nature of faith. What does faith look like? And actually, um, faith has a lot of different, it, it looks, it, it, it sort of has commonalities across all of us. We, we all trust in the same, we trust in Jesus. Everybody trusts in something. We've, we're here this morning. Uh, or you're here this morning because you're either thinking about trusting Jesus or because you have trusted Jesus. But everybody trusts something. But actually, in the circumstances of our life, different, different things come up against us, and our faith plays differently, and we have different personalities as well. And so we work it out very differently. I was watching my children a number of weeks ago, and some of you have heard this, and some of you haven't heard this, but I'm going to keep telling it because it just gets me every time. But my son at seven, processes faith in a very, he needs to think it through and ask questions and talk about it. And we're going, oh, he's very clear that he has a a childhood faith. And I was looking at my daughter, who's five, and going, she's not doing the same thing. Where's she at? And I was a little concerned about her. And my wife said to me, yeah, but she... She's constantly making, she's constantly singing worship songs we sing on Sunday morning. And she's actually started making up her own songs about Jesus. And she's expressing her faith in her own way, a different way, but her own way. But faith in Jesus. And so we want to look at, we've been looking at Hebrews 11 because it talks through all of these different people in the Old Testament and what faith looked like. And it talks about it a little differently. Abel, Abel trusted God because he, he came and he offered a sacrifice and it wasn't the sacrifice, but it was the fact that he trusted God as he brought his sacrifice. Enoch, it says, walked with God so closely in such deep fellowship that God took him off. He never experienced death. Noah walked in faith very specifically because God said, build a massive boat. It's going to rain. There's going to be a flood, despite the fact that it had never rained before. And he did it. He trusted God. Abraham, God said, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, God said, leave your country and go to another country that you don't know. I'm going to make you into a great nation there. And they got there. And then he said, I'm going to give you a son. Well, he said that before as well. And they said, well, we're past the age of childbearing. My wife is too old. But I kept walking in faith, believing that he was going to achieve All of those things. And so what we've been looking at is faith in life for the last several weeks. And this week, if you look, and we're going to read just those four verses, starting in verse 13, Hebrews 11 and verse 13. It says, these all died in faith. We've been talking about faith in life. And the author of Hebrews pauses for just a second. He says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let me just pray before we go on. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can come to it together this morning. Thank you that we can read it 
And Father, we don't want to just come and read it and walk away unchanged, but we want to come with that expectation that you have something for each one of us, that you have something you want to do in our lives, that you have something you want to change, that you have more blessings that you want to give us. And so, Father, we come before you expectantly this morning as we look at your word. Father, thank you for the privilege of doing this together in community. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I'm excited and I'm talking fast. Uh, I've been trying to slow down the last couple of weeks because we've got friends who are different levels of English. And I'm, so I'm trying to, but I'm excited this morning. So I'm going to try and slow down and rein it in a little bit. Um, so if I'm talking too fast for anyone, stick your hand up and say, Tim, slow down. And I'll do that. This passage it talks about dying in faith. How do we live well so that we can die well? As I was reading it, I was thinking, living well and dying without regrets. We talk a lot about in our modern world. I don't want to have any regrets. And often, actually, what we're talking about when we talk about not having regrets is, I want to live a full life on this earth. And so we're busy pursuing all kinds of things, family and career and hobbies and pastimes and skills that we've acquired, all things that we can't take with us into the next life. All things that stay here. And so what does it mean? I think this, this, these verses give us some insights in a general way, and we're going to try and apply them in a specific way, to how, how it is that we live well and die without any regrets. And so... The author of Hebrews begins off and he says, these all, these, he's talking about Abraham, who we've just been talking about, but he's also talking about some other folks he's going he's gonna to refer to in the next bunch of verses from verse uh, 17 on. He talks about Abraham and Abraham's son, Isaac, and Isaac's son, Jacob, and Jacob's son, Joseph. Sometimes we call them the patriarchs. They're the, the founding fathers of the people of Israel. And he says that these, all of those guys, they died in faith. And he explains what he means. He says, not having received the things that they were promised. You see, they walked in faith their whole life, but they never received in completion the things that they had been promised. Look with me for just a second at Genesis 12 and verses 1 through 3. You all are going to be sick of Hebrews 11 and Gen the book of Genesis by the time we're done. Genesis 12 and verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, sorry, it's not been, not been called Abraham yet. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, we talked about this a minute ago, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If you look over into Genesis chapter 13, in verses 14 through 17, Abraham has got, he's got to the land and is with his nephew Lot. They've traveled there together to this land called Canaan that God said, I'm going to give it to you. And he gets there and he says to Lot, as a good man of faith would, you choose which land you want to go to. 
And Lot looks around and he sees the valley and he sees the high country. And the, high, the valley has a river running through it. It's plentiful. It's, he goes, I'm going to go there. That's, that's good. That's where I'm going to have my flocks, all of my sheep, my donkeys and my camels. That's where I want them to graze. So he takes the best land. And in verse 14, the Lord then says to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. The dust of the earth can't be counted, just so you were clear on that. Arise then, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. This is what the author in, in, in Hebrew says. It says that, that Abraham, he saw it. He got to the land that God promised him. And he saw it from afar. And he actually lived there for a while. But he never settled. And he actually, when he goes to bury his wife Sarah, he says to the king of, of Canaan, he says, I'm a sojourner. Sell me some land. He didn't own land. He moved. They were, lived in tents. So he saw the land. He greeted it from afar. That's what... The, the author of Hebrews says, but he never settled there. And actually, as you follow the story of, 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 of Isaac and then Jacob and then Joseph, they end up where? Egypt. In Egypt for 400 years. And so all of them died believing that God was going to fulfill his promise. But, and seeing they could see the country. They walked and they lived in the country, but they never settled there. And they did acknowledge, as I just said, Abraham also acknowledged uh, that he wasn't settled there when he was, sent his, 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 his uh, head servant to go find a wife for Isaac in uh, Genesis chapter 20, 23, I think it was. It's in your notes there. Genesis 20, he says, he says go find a wife, go back to, 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 to where we came from and find a wife from my family. But don't take my son back there. She has to come here because this is where we're supposed to be. But they never actually settled because Isaac had his son Jacob. Jacob, well, Joseph was taken in captivity to Egypt. And then there was a famine in the land where Jacob lived in Canaan. And so the whole family went to Egypt. And there they stayed for 400 years. And actually God intended it. He promised he would bring them back up to Jacob. And Joseph, we're going to talk about it next week, says to his brothers when he dies, take my bones with you when you leave Egypt. And, you go, and God takes you back to you. He believed that God would take them back to Canaan. So they saw it from afar. They greeted it. They, they believed, but they never saw it fully. It doesn't happen until later with Moses that the people gets taken back. And so they all died in faith. And in verse 14, the author of Hebrews 11 says, For people who speak thus, who say the kinds of things that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph said, they, they made it clear that they were seeking that homeland, that they weren't settling where they were. They were on a journey. They were sojourners, exiles on earth. What does that mean for us? I think the first, the, the, it, it's very, it's, it, it's a good picture for us, and the New Testament picks this up over and over again, of what our position is on earth now 
as followers of Jesus. We're people who are still seeking a homeland. We're, we're exiles. We're sojourners. This, this world, this earth, this land is not our true home. Yeah, turn with me to Philippians in chapter 3. Philippians in chapter 3 and verse 20. And you'll see what I mean. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. It says, But our citizenship... Does anyone, who here holds citizenship? Yeah. Some of you don't hold citizenship? You might be in trouble. I think you can actually renounce. I don't know if you, some countries let you renounce your. I don't know if you can renounce your. If you only hold one, you can actually renounce it. I think some don't, some do. Anyway, who holds a citizenship that's not England? Yeah. So you are for, You're in in the human sense. You're foreigners and exiles in this country. You're you you you've you've moved here. Some of you actually. Many of us. Our parents or grandparents or great-grandparents. Who has great-grandparents or grandparents or parents who are from somewhere else? Who have citizenship somewhere else? Yeah, a number of us as well. Did you put your hand up as someone who's... Did I say British or English? You said English. Did I? David was oh, I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> Scottish. Yeah. So Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in Egypt. No, in heaven. It's in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly, our physical, earthly bodies into to be like His glorious body. We get a new body one day by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So when you start to trust Jesus... The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they had, they, they had faith in what God had promised them, that I'm going to take you to a new land. I'm going to make you into a nation, and, and you will bless all people. They, had, they trusted that promise. We trust the promise of Jesus. That's God's final and best promise, Jesus. And so when we start to trust Jesus, all of our earthly loyalties, citizenships, all of that becomes secondary and we start to have loyalty to a country that has no borders, if you will. A a country that is not of this world. A better country, says the writer of Hebrews. Heaven. The place where Jesus is king. Does that make sense? Tracking? Yeah? But for now, we live in this world. We belong to that world, but we live in this world. And we look at Jesus the same way that Abraham and Isaac, they trusted in God's promise that he was going to give them a land and make them into a nation. We trust in Jesus. Jesus is, he's, he, all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. He is, he is God's best promise. And so we trust him that all of the stuff in the future is going to happen, that he's going to make everything right again. We, we sung about it earlier. Is he worthy? We see the world's broken. Do you see it? Do you feel the pain? Do you feel it in your own life? Do you see it in those around you? Yes, it's broken. It's hurting. And one day, the king, my king, your king, is going to come back and set it right. I said that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, 
they walked in the land. They got a foretaste of the land. Do you understand foretaste? You get to experience it ahead of time. It's kind of like when uh, I say to my kids, we're going to have cake for dessert. Renska makes the cake. But she gives them a little taste of some icing as she's making it. That's a foretaste. They didn't get the cake, but they had a little scoop of icing on their finger. They got a foretaste. And we get, and Abraham, they had a foretaste of the land they would be called to. Am I talking too fast? I'm talking too fast. They had a foretaste of the land they would be called to because they got to walk in it. And in the same way, we get a foretaste, a little, a little taste of what heaven will be like here and now. And the primary way, the main way that we get that is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when you start to trust Jesus, God says, I'm going to put my spirit into you. That's the best possible thing in every possible reality that he could, he could give us is his spirit. All of his blessings are funneled, channeled through his Holy Spirit. And so if we want to experience what heaven will be like, we need to be filled with the spirit. And if you trust Jesus... You have his spirit. And actually, God says, keep coming back to me. Keep trusting me in your day-to-day life so that I can fill you more and more and more with my spirit so that you can experience more and more and more of my blessings. What does that look like? Maybe it looks like, as a young person, Jesus says, hey, trust me by obeying your parents. I hate obeying my parents. They're wrong all the time. And so you say, okay, I'm going to trust Jesus and I'm going to obey my parents. And as you trust him, he starts to fill you with his Holy Spirit and give you power to actually do it well and joyfully. And you get down the road 10, 15, 20 years and you find that you've got a really solid relationship with your parents. It's an example. There are lots of exceptions, and life is more messy than that. I realize that. But you start to experience the blessing of close personal relationships. We can do the same thing with your spouse. My spouse drives me nuts in this area, or maybe in all areas. Hopefully not in all areas. My spouse drives me crazy. And Jesus says in Ephesians chapter 5, Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives sacrificially like Jesus laid down his life. For the church. Put yourself to death, in a sense, for your wife. And you say, okay, husband, wife, they drive me nuts, but I'm not going to win this argument. I'm going to let it go. And trust Jesus that he's going to do the work in their life. And ask Jesus to change me so that I can love my spouse better. And you, you, that's a step of faith. To not... Have you felt that? That step of faith, I'm going to choose not to win this argument. It's a step of faith. Because you have to believe that what Jesus has is actually better than you winning the argument and bashing them around the head with it. Yeah? Just being honest. And so you take that step of faith, and you keep taking that step, and he fills you with your spirit because you've trusted him. That's how we get more of the spirit. When we come to Jesus in trust, he fills us and allows you to actually do the thing that he's calling you to do. And you keep doing that over and over and over. And down the road, you suddenly went, 
that thing that used to be a problem between us, the Lord's fixed that. He's, he's, cha- he's actually changed me. I'm different because I changed. And actually, somehow my spouse is different too because, yeah. That's the process of trusting and getting that foretaste of heaven. Our, our gatherings together as a church are a little bit of a foretaste of heaven as well. We'll talk about... Let me finish this thought. Too many thoughts in my head. Yeah, because what are the things that we can actually take with us? Some of what it means to be, to be living for that future country means that we invest now in things that we can actually take with us. What are some things that we can take with us into the next life? Can you take, can you take your money, your bank account, can you take that with you? No. Despite the fact that the pharaohs put all their stuff in there too, with, no, it doesn't go with you. The, the grave robbers get it. You can't take your money. What about your car and your house and all of your material goods? Can you take that with you into the next life? No. When, when, when Queen Elizabeth... On her coffin, what did they have on top of her coffin? The crown, the scepter, and the orb. Did they put that into the grave with her? No. Why? She can't take it with her. There's a whole lot of stuff we can't actually take with us into the next life. What can we take with us? We take our souls. We lose our physical bodies. But your soul, who you really are... Your thoughts, emotions, feelings, that, that personality, who, who you are, your soul, you take that with you. That's eternal. That continues to exist. Other souls, other people. That's why when we gather together, these relationships that we're building, oh, these go over into, these carry over into eternity. These, are, these relationships right here, friends, if you look around, look around at each other. These relationships are good investments of your time because they keep on going. Yeah? You should invite someone over for dinner. You, you should invite someone from church. Invite a neighbor. Because actually, souls who don't yet know Jesus, we, could, we, could, we want to see them come over with us as well. Yeah? We invest in the things that, yeah, I know you've got you to gotta do life, and you've got to manage your stuff well, and you've got to have a job, and you've got to earn a living and take care of it. I know you've got to do all of that stuff. But sometimes we can let the world's way of doing things erode our trust and our perspective about what's really important, what's really eternal. Relationships, your relationship with Jesus, that carries over other people in your own soul. That's it. We entered this life naked and we leave it naked. Nothing. And so we see that in the patriarchs, in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, that they got a foretaste, we get a foretaste, and those are the kind of things that we want to invest in. We trust in Jesus. And before we move on to the second part of the, the passage, they acknowledge that they were strangers and exiles. Have you taken, have you acknowledged in your own life that yes, I don't belong to this world? I don't belong to this world. If you're, if, if you've, I feel this because I, I, I've got English citizenship, but I don't sound English. I don't think English. I, I think differently. And so I feel a little bit out of step with the culture around me. 
Yeah? Does anyone else ever feel like that? Maybe you're English and you feel like that. Yeah? But you feel, but if you're living for Jesus, if, you're, if, you're, if, if he's your king and your true citizenship is his kingdom in the next world, in the next life, that means you're going to be out of step with the world around us. And the world, we ought to expect the world to look at us and go, you guys are weird. We don't understand you. you. The world can look at you and think you're weird for the wrong reasons. Let's be really clear about that. We want to make sure that the world looks at us and thinks we're weird and doesn't understand us because we're busy following Jesus. Yeah? I heard a really good illustration of this this last week that many of you have changed time zones. It's a real pain in the neck to change time zones because your sleep schedule's off. You're not hungry when you're supposed to be hungry because you've... you've, you've Yuri, is, is between here and Moldova... Do you know what the time difference is? Two hours? So it's not a huge time difference, but if you fly to Thailand, like my wife has done, and you fly to Dubai or Abu Dhabi, there's a bigger time difference. And you you get all messed up. And the best way to prepare to be in a new time difference, not time zone, is to start living in your present time zone like you would in that one. Does that make sense? I've never tried this, but that's that's what all the professionals say. You start doing it ahead of time. So I know it's only 1 in the morning here, but over where I'm going, it's 7 o'clock, which means it's breakfast time. So I'm going to get up at 1 in the morning and eat breakfast. And then I'm going to eat lunch at 9 in the morning, and then I'm going to eat dinner, and I'm going to go to sleep at 4 in the afternoon. Because in the time zone where I'm about to go, that's, where I would, that's what I would be doing. And your body gets used to it ahead of time. That's what we're doing when we follow Jesus. We're getting ready to be in a different time zone in heaven. We're living now like we will then, as much as we can. Yeah? Is that a good illustration? I thought that was a, I read that this week and thought that was a decent. Yeah. So Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, verse 20. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And almost as if he's, 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 he's anticipating our question of, yeah, but what about this life? What, how, I still got to survive, right? And he carries on in verse 33, if you skip down, and he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things, all of those needs that you have on this earth, will be added to you. So Jesus says, focus on what's truly important. Focus on what's going to happen in the next life. And I'm going to take care of you in this life. I come back to that verse, Matthew 6.33, all the time. Because I'm constantly tempted to worry too much about the things of this worth in a way that proves, in a sense, that I'm putting too much hope in them. Yeah? 
You ever, ever worry it like that? You worry and actually how, the, the amount that you're worrying about something is, pr- is proof that actually you've raised it to an importance in your life that should be reserved for Jesus. And so the patriarchs died in faith. They died well because they lived well. And just as we look at the, the, briefly at the second half of the passage, is that clock done or are we just really early? Oh, I've got loads of time. Brilliant. <laughs> just kidding. The second half of the passage, I think, gives us a sense of, the first half shows us how do you, how do you live well and die with no regrets? The second two verses, verse 15 and 16, give us a sense of how do you stay the course? Because, I mean, has anyone's journey of faith just been a sort of straight down? Or is it a bit more of a one of these and a one of these and, you know, up, you, you got some good times and you're, you're trusting the Lord really strong and then something comes along and your trust in Jesus disintegrates because you're going, oh! How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to do I got to I need a new job. What's going to happen? You just, Lord, I'm sorry. And you start back up again. And there's different twists and there's bends in the road of life. Yeah. So how do we stay the course? How do we actually, we know what we want to do. We know what the ideal is in a sense. We've got the picture of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. But how do we stay the course? How do we not wander off the path. And so he says in verse 15, he says, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. That's so, so fascinating, so convicting. What he's saying is, let's just look at Abraham. If Abraham had been, had been spending that whole time, the whole journey towards Canaan and on all of his life, thinking about what he had left back in Ur, that's his hometown. He would have had lots of opportunity to go back. But he wasn't thinking about it. He could have been walking along and thinking, oh, we've been on the road for 20 years. Oh, remember when we were just back in Ur and life was just, you know, it was just easy. Oh, remember that? Remember the nightclub we used to go to back at? No, didn't have nightclubs. You get what I'm saying? If, if he'd been, been spending all of his time... Nostalgia is a dangerous thing. You know, we can think back to physical places we've been, but nostalgia is, is, is it's, it's looking back in time, right? It's wishing for a better... Ah, oh, the older days were better than these, is what Ecclesiastes says. He says, don't say that. <laughs> but if he'd been looking back, he would have had opportunity. In fact, he could have at any time just said, you know, let's pack it up, we're going home. But he said, no, home is that way. It's not that way. And we see that again really specifically when Isaac needs a bride. There was the opportunity. The the, the head servant says, if I find her but she won't come back, should I take Isaac there? And he says, no, no. If she's the right woman but she won't come here, then she's not the right woman. Because we're supposed to be here. That's, That's God's plan. You're thinking friends, influences what you do when you have the opportunity to waver, to turn back, to turn aside. If you spend all of your time 
I don't know what your thing is. I've got a lot of friends who struggle with drugs or alcohol, that kind of abuse. If you spend all of your time thinking about, oh, that, that, next, that drink, oh, I can't wait. I know I shouldn't, and I'm trying to stop, but, oh, the taste, it's so good, and the feeling, and, oh. You spend all of your time, guess what's going to happen when you have the opportunity to take a drink? I'm not saying drinking's wrong, but for someone who's abused it, who's under its control, you're trying to stop. If God's convicted you that you need to stop going on social media, but you spend all your time jealous of your friends because they're looking at it all the time, and, or you're, you're ah, I miss, uh, guess what's going to happen when you have a spare second? You're going to choose to do that thing. Yeah? What we spend our time thinking about, dreaming about, fantasizing about, when you're laying in bed at night and where your mind goes, the things that we think about influence when we have an opportunity to choose, do I keep trusting Jesus or do I start trusting something else? You're more likely to go back to trusting that old thing. We can do it in terms of, of the past as well. If, if the Lord saved you out of something, but every so often you allow yourself to remember the tasty part of sin, the, sin, the part of sin that you enjoyed. Step back a little bit. Yeah? When the opportunity comes up to do that thing again, it's going to be that much easier. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, he says, take every thought and make it captive to Jesus. Take every thought. Ah, that thought, Lord, that's not a thought that's going to help me trust you. It's going to make me want to trust something else. And so you take it captive. You say, no, Jesus, I want to think about something else. There are days when I have a thought that keeps wanting to come back in my head, and I find myself either with one line of a song or a, a verse and just repeating it over and over and over and over, just trying to fill my mind with something else because that thought keeps coming back in. Yeah. Take every thought captive. They would have had opportunity to return. What's the solution? We see it in verse 15. Or sorry, verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country. They desire a better country. Better is a really important word in the book of Hebrews. The whole argument of what the author's trying to tell us, that Jesus is better, he's better than the angels, he's better than the, the priestly cultic ritual of Israel where they had to say, he's better than that, he's better than, than Melchizedek, and that's a whole thing, fascinating. He's better than, best sacrifice, better than, what was that? Better than the tabernacle, he's better than all of these things. He's the best. And the solution to not wanting to turn back, the reason you want to turn back or waver is because you think there's something better over here. Yeah? I know Jesus says that I should save sex for marriage, but I think actually, well, I really want to, you know, live with my girlfriend. I think it's better. You think it's better? You think that's better than what Jesus says? And this is the reality of, 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 of what Jesus says. Sometimes we get the idea that the Jesus way is the boring way. 
Jesus doesn't want us to have any fun in life. And actually, that's not what the Bible says at all. It says actually that if you want to have the most adventurous, exciting life full of true pleasure and true goodness, that's the Jesus way. Because we were designed for that way. We weren't designed for this way. And so the solution is to truly believe in your heart of hearts that Jesus is better. And what He has to offer you is better in every sphere of life. In your job, the world says, work hard, do what you have to do to get ahead, earn enough money, you can retire, you can look after your family, you have some good things, maybe, you, maybe you'll make it big as well, and you actually have a life of ease. And that's the goal. That's sort of, it doesn't really go much farther than that. And Jesus says, life is more than money. I'm going to take care of you, and actually you'll have true peace, and true security, and true success with me. Success that this world can't steal. Comfort that this world can't steal. to believe deep in our hearts that Jesus is better. The reality, friends, is that every sin, sometimes we think of sin as the actual actions, the stuff we do. Oh, I hit my friend last night, and that was a sin. I disobeyed my... I, my mom said, go clean your room, and I didn't do it, and that was a sin. Those are sinful actions, but actually sin starts before that. Sin starts with saying, I believe that doing what I want is better than doing what Jesus is asking me to do. Yeah, it's about trust. Everything we do in life is about what you're trusting. And as you start to see that in your life, you go, <laughs> yeah, what do you trust? You trust it? And it really comes down to two things. It's either Jesus or it's something else. Abraham, the patriarchs, they believed that what God had promised was better than anything they could find in themselves, anything that they could find in the world off, around them, anything that what they had come from could offer them. They believed it was better. And he ends with this, this phrase, therefore, it's a wonderful phrase, wonderful sentence, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. Friends, when you walk in that trust in Jesus, like Abraham did, like Isaac did, like Jacob did, he's not ashamed to be called your God. He's not ashamed to be identified with you. He wasn't ashamed to be identified. Do you know how he introduced himself over and over and over again in the Old Testament? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He was identified with them personally. And when you trust in Jesus, when you are, give your life wholesale to Jesus, all of it, God says, I'm not ashamed to be identified with you. I'm the God of James. I'm the God of Nikki. I'm the God of Kate. I'm the God of Paul. He's your God. And you are his child. And he's your father. And he loves you. And there's, not, there's nothing you can do to break that. Yeah, He disciplines us. He brings us back in repentance. But you belong to Him when you trust Jesus. And it says He's prepared for them a city. I don't, when I think of a city, I think of New York City because it's 
massive and oppressive and I hate it. <laughs> I don't like, I like some, I like Paris, I like London, I don't like New York. But I think of, when I think of city, I don't necessarily think of, it's busy and there's some good stuff, and, but it's also a place where stuff happens, so I'm kind of conflicted about it. I don't know how you think about city, but in the Bible, the city is the place of where people go to seek community and safety. Remember, we come inside the walls to be safe from the enemy, protected. There's business there, so there is success as well. So if I could frame it like that, in, in the Bible, the city represents the place of comfort, the place of community, and the place of success. And if you remember, a couple weeks ago, my dad was preaching on Abraham. It says, Abraham, in Hebrews 11, verse 10, Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, presumably opposed to the city that doesn't have foundations. It's, it's a solid city. It's not going anywhere. And whose designer and architect is God. And so God has designed for you a place. He's prepared, it says. It reminds me of John chapter 14. When... Jesus has said to his disciples, soon I'm going to disappear and you're not going to see me anymore. And they're going, what, Jesus, where are you going? Why are you dis-? They haven't, they still haven't got it. And Jesus says, listen, I'm going to go, but I'm going away to prepare a house for you, a place for you to come and live. There's many rooms. I had a song that I used to sing as a kid, but I can't think how it goes now. I'm looking at my sister because there she's. Oh, that's the one. Yep. Audio adrenaline. He's preparing, and it says he's prepared a city, not just a house, but Hebrews says a city, a whole city for all of us. A city that, that can't be shaken, it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Yeah, we've seen earthquakes shake, um, shake, shake cities. It crumbled the cities earthquakes have. And this is a city, not of this world, where we find safety and security and success. I, I was out um, in the street with uh, the UCCF guys at the University of Wolverhampton this week and uh, talked to, we had a board up and we're asking students to come and write on the board and they were answering a question, what are your hopes for university? The young lady said she was nominal Buddhist. That was her family background, but she wasn't really practicing. She said, comfort and success. And I said, why comfort and success? cake and eat it too kind of thing. You know, and, 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 I, and she said, well, you know, you can have all the success in the world, but you're miserable. I don't want to be miserable. I said, you know, that's interesting. That's one of the reasons I'm a Christian. <laughs> because I haven't found anywhere else that you can have comfort, true comfort, and true success other than in Jesus. That's the city. That's the picture of the city. True comfort in Jesus. True success through Jesus. True community in Christ. And nothing can take that away. As we close, I just want to point you to Genesis chapter 12. It's before we get to the story of Abraham. Sorry, chapter 11. If we've thought about the heavenly city, the true city, we can also think about the anti-city, which would be Babel or Babylon as it later becomes to be known. Genesis chapter 11 which verse still one? It says one through, 1 through 9. The people, this is before, after Noah. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain 
in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its, na- with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down, and he saved them from themselves by changing their languages so they couldn't communicate. If you want to know, it's one of those interesting things that all of the languages that divide us as the human race, it's actually a curse. And one day that's going to change. And those things won't divide us anymore in heaven. But if you notice what they were trying to achieve in building Babel, we're going to make a name for ourselves. That's success. We don't want to be scattered over all the earth. That's, they don't want to be attacked. That's safety and security. And they want to be together. That's community. It's the same three things that the heavenly city promises. Babel, or Babylon, comes to represent this world, the kingdom of this world. And the reality, friends, is that the kingdom of this world, Babylon, and the kingdom of God in the new heavens and the new earth, they make the same promises. They both promise happiness and safety and community and security. But only one of those can keep his promises. Only one can keep their promises. And that's Jesus, the King. Friends, where, where's your heart at? We read that verse earlier. Where's your heart? Where are you storing up treasure? Are you storing up treasure in Babylon? Which will one day end and it will burn and rot. Or are you storing up treasure in heaven with Jesus? In things that moth and rust can't destroy. 